Hey, Research Hole listeners, just a quick heads up from me, Val, that this episode gets a little darker than some of our prior episodes. We touch on the eugenics movement and its history, uh, the white power movement, racism and anti-Semitism, particularly in World War II. So if any of that stuff doesn't feel like it needs to be part of your run or your dishes washing or whatever it is you do when you listen to this, I get it. Go ahead and skip. If not, continue on. Hey fellow nerds, welcome to Research Hole, a podcast where I talk to artists about the research holes we fall down on the way to our projects. I'm Val Howlett. I want to say the the standard thing, which is like, please review this podcast on your apps that you listen to podcasts on so that we can get above the people who only made one episode of their thing because we have made five. This is number six, which is pretty impressive to me. Um, Thanks also to listener Kevin Mullins who texted me about the something I learned this week from episode one, back when we talked about polyglots. Here's what he said. So polyglot is also sometimes used to refer to a country or a place with very diverse culture or multiple cultures. The Austro-Hungarian Empire, for example, was often called a polyglot empire because of all the cultures and languages spoken in it. So... Thanks, and thanks also to my mom who has emailed Research Hole about some polyglots she knows. (laughs) I'm really excited. I love my mom's emails. Very, very happy to be receiving them. Um, Really excited to get an email from a stranger who listens to the podcast. I feel like that'll be when I know I've made it somewhere. Um, So just, you know, trying hard, looking forward to the future. Today's guest is a graphic designer and illustrator from Jack Shit Nowhere, Pennsylvania. She likes bright colors, puppies, smelly books, tea, and very mild hiking. She derives her strength from a steady diet of Diet Coke and Doritos. Fun fact, a person can hear her parrot shriek laughter from a mile away. She was a bridesmaid in my wedding and I've known her since we were 14. Might I present? Leah Felicity Lucci! Yay! It's me! It's you! You made it! (laughs) (laughs) I like that you did a drum roll. I did it because you put it in, you put a stage direction in your uh, bio that said, you must now drum roll or insert a generic drum roll noise here. I need this drama. I thought it would really just add a little a little pizzazz. It did. It did. Um, I also, I don't think I'd call State College jack shit nowhere for Pennsylvania. <laughs> like, like, I don't think I'd say that. But, like, I'm just saying, I'm just letting our listeners know that you said that. I provided okay. this content. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and also, the very mild hiking might be considered normal hiking to some of you. I don't know what your lives are, but I feel that I like to take it easy. <laughs> I feel like very mild hiking would be my level of hiking as well. I'm not trying to hurt myself, man. I'm just trying to like feel the breeze. It's yeah. Like, it's, not thought. it's not legs day. I'm not doing anything crazy. <laughs> One time, Carmen and I went to like very rural New Hampshire and we stayed in this cabin And the guy who owned the cabin, like, met with us at the beginning when we checked in. And he told us about a very easy, low-key hike we could go on. And this was a place where, like, there wasn't a lot of, like, maps. (laughs) Rescue options. Right, right. We We were really out there. And that hike took all day. Like, oh, it no. was an eight-hour hike. No. And at the end, we were literally climbing rocks. No. That was easy to him. No, that's that's divorce level. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. It There's was hard. no way. No hike should last longer than two hours max. Also, I'd like to put that caveat in there. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the, the fact that A, you made the amazing logo for this podcast. Yay! Which is so good. And also that, you know, 
you say in your bio, we've said in your bio that you're an illustrator and graphic designer. I feel like we should tell our listeners like a little something more about that, right? Because it is, I mean, I think that your Instagram is. It's popping. It's popping. And it is like, it is like one of the reasons I'm on Instagram still. I can't remember what you said. You wrote me a note that was like, following Leah's Instagram is like finding dark gifts around your house or something. I can't remember what you said, but it was wonderful. (laughs) I can't remember what I said either. (laughs) But what have you been working on lately? Um, So lately I've been um, just sort of mostly working on... um, just like some prints that I've been working on these very layered pieces that have like writing on the bottom and then layers of paint on top of them. So the layer, the writing is almost like a texture. Um, they, the, the monks used to do this thing where they would like try to save paper and like write in one direction and then turn the paper 90 degrees and write the other direction. Um, uh-huh. so it's really cool looking. I, I, I We'll we'll put it in the show notes, guys. We'll put it in the we'll show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. Well, like, I think, so as someone who is not visually talented at all, I'm always wondering, like, where you come up with your ideas for a new project in general. Like, what, what led you to be like, oh, the monks did this thing? Is it grad school? Or, I mean, like, is it your program that you were in? You just, like, learned all this stuff? Or is it, like what other people are doing online? Well, at one point I was looking at, um, I was journaling, but I was always paranoid somebody would be able to find it. So at one point I developed my own um, alphabet and was writing in that alphabet, but it was a straight one-to-one cipher. So if somebody figured out the most common letter was like a swishy symbol, they'd realize that was the E and so forth. But I wasn't about to go into a more in-depth cipher um, because like it would be impossible to flowingly write in that. Yeah, and that'd be hard. I was paranoid somebody would find my journal and, like, know all my secrets or whatever. So I started doing this in, like, probably college um, because typing it out just isn't the same as writing it out by hand. And I was I Googled, like, overlapping writing systems or something like that. And I found this, like, gorgeous. It looks like, like, stitching. It looks like cross-stitching or tapestry or embroidery or something. It's gorgeous. I guess these monks used to do it to, like, save paper. Like, people used to do this, like... I, but it's like really hard to read. It's almost impossible to read. And if you flip the paper enough times and you write over it enough times, it becomes completely indecipherable. Also, if you are, if you write down your credit card on a piece of paper and then later want to write, you don't just scribble back and forth because then that like a person who's good at handwriting analysis can just get rid of the scribble back and forth. Um, you have to write other numbers on top of it over Whoa. and over and over again. So it's, that, that's how, like, FBI people tell you to do it. Like, if you don't want that information to be found. You have to that's write a other good hot tip. Yeah. So next time you guys are committing some kind of crime or just covering <laughs> up your credit card, that's how you do it. You overwrite it with different numbers. So then they don't they can't tell what's the number. Because the scribbles all look the same. Okay. So walk me through it because my brain's a little slow today. So when you were, when you were writing in your journal, you right. were looking up... S- easy ciphers like easy coding right right like you know like those alphabets that you you see on the back of cereal boxes where it's like oh like a pointing up arrow is a and a pointing down arrow is b and then like a dot one dot is c and two dots is d or whatever and i started to write it actually had a fair amount of fluency with the dots and stuff but i realized that if somebody figured out what some of the dots meant like the word the for example mm-hmm. you know Of course, and I have such an ego that I think somebody would actually want to, A, read my journal, and B, decipher it, right? Like, oh, God, who has time? But I became paranoid, and I was like, I need to find a better way to hide my secrets. Yeah, and you wrote like that? Yes. Wow. For years. I'm very impressed. Full of gibberish. And now I have notebooks full of just, like, big blocks, like, literal blocks of texts that are just written over they're like morning pages too like they're not even like secrets they're like they're just my morning pages because it that way I don't waste paper or go through the notebooks really fast because uh I never go back and read them I've never I've never read them it's just the exercise of getting it out of my brain somewhere else it's more of like a purging than it is you know like a documenting um yeah so it's yeah so I, I have these blocks of unreadable notebooks full of unreadable text 
Okay, so you had the material and it's like, let's do something with that. Right. So then I was at a, I'm going to have to send you a link to this because we're going we're to put it in the show notes, guys. There was an <laughs> artist who went, was living in Pennsylvania and he, he started like making these elaborate grids and then painting like little dots into the grids and he would like make swishy lines to form the grids and he would like, and you could see the swishy lines sort of behind the paint and the, the grids were supposed to represent like the flowing fields of Pennsylvania, like these sort of agricultural sort of geometric or undulating like repetitive grids. And it was this guy and his wife wrote poetry that went with it. Um, and it was like these big, they were almost like swaths of color. But then when you got closer, you realized like he would slightly change like the underpainting from one side to the other. Or like there would be small details you'd realize like he had put in some of the dots in a slightly different color in some areas. There were like little variations the way there would be in nature. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting, the way this guy had done that. Um, so I've been working on some of that, which even if you were to look at these pieces, you wouldn't even necessarily know there was writing underneath them. It's cool. Just like this idea that like, they're like an underpainting, like when they do x-rays of paintings and they find underpaintings, Whoa. like that there is this indecipherable tapestry underpainting in there. I want to say something smart about the idea of like texture and layers and this year and whatever, but like, I don't have it. Okay. <laughs> Maybe she'll put it in the show notes, guys. But you know what I also want to talk about, like, before we get into your retail told too, is I want to talk about your your people creatures. My people creatures? The, crypto, the cryptids? The cryptozoology? No, like, so, okay. So, ever since I've known Leah, which, as, as mentioned in Snappily bio, written. Which, which <laughs> she wrote. <laughs> um, we've known each other since we were... 14? 16? I wrote 14. It felt about right. I don't know. Around there. So we went to nerd camp together and she carried a sketchbook around everywhere and she was often sketching stuff like and it would be stuff that very often it was like it was like a person who was just like a little bit off like I don't know how to describe your style exactly but every very often it would be either a creature that was like you could tell what it was but it was like a little bit funny or a person who like it's not realism distorted they were like yeah like like um well that's sort of they're based on oh god do you want this because I feel like I mean I guess that's the point of the podcast but like it's the um, point I okay. want it. The German <laughs> feed it to me. <laughs> so the so there's the Renaissance Renaissance paintings. Like they're beautiful and everything is perfectly rendered and everyone has perfect muscles and everyone's like super jacked and good looking, right? You know, like Michelangelo, Donatello, Leonardo, all of your all of your Ninja Turtles. Like they right. made these like beautiful sculptures that were perfect. Um, there was a counter movement because one of every movement there's a counter movement called mannerism in Germany and everything was like distorted and miserable like the the bodies the the sort of renaissance paintings were like perfect and they were graceful and they were like to the point where it was like totally unrealistic it was like this like idealized almost neutral you know sort of almost expressionless because it was so beautiful and the Germans being German were like no 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 we need to have these like distorted hideous like like distended bodies like for example the suffering of jesus right like when it's when when jesus is like perfectly sculpted and he's like looking wistfully into the middle distance like upon the cross like that's not really like if you were to do it on a cross like you'd be not happy about that right like that wouldn't be your ideal situation and so like you look up like mannerism like a mannerist jesus like his long fingers are like clenched in misery and he's like distorted and he's like miser his face is you know clenched in in pain and when the instant i saw this art and it's like in in our history class i took one in in like high school the instant i saw this art i was like that that's what i want to do i want to do that like yeah like, (laughs) like and is that still what you would call what you're doing or the root of what you're doing is mannerism yeah yeah mannerism they're just so expressive and so sad 
and so bizarre. They're not realistic at all. I mean, this might be in part because I used to say I couldn't do realism, but I can if needed. Like, I can do it. It just takes me forever, and it's not interesting. Yeah, um, it's not where so, your heart is. No. So, like, why would I bother? Um, yeah, I do. St- I just still, I have, like, three sketchbooks um, at my spot. I've, like, I'm in my studio right now, and I've got a bunch everywhere. And then I've got a couple also um, on my couch. And I'm always drawing, even when I'm, like, watching TV. I got, I just pulled up a random, like, Instagram post from you recently. And it, it says, do you know the Muffin Man? And it is a man <laughs> holding, <laughs> holding um, a, I think a muffin and perhaps a cup of tea. Um, and, but the man has a teeny hat. His head, <laughs> his head is not ovular. It's not, it's not circular. It's like sort of misshapen. His ear is like a little lump. His nose, I love his nose. His nose is like um, sort of like an upside down um, clover. He has little dot cheeks and he's sort of like a little lumpy in body too. He does, like- he does. <laughs> I remember this drawing. I have to find it now. Now I know exactly the draw- There he is. Yeah, yeah. He's got He's got some weird stuff going on with this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a little bit of like hair. Like you could tell he's hair. got a hairy chest and it's poking out above his bow tie. And he has he's red toenails. Yeah, red toenails. Yeah. And then can I read your caption or do you want to read your caption? <laughs> do you know the muffin man he tells his gym bros that he's paleo but he is not he is not <laughs> so leah's captions are amazing too because she's just also an amazing writer so you'll see these these funny people or these funny creatures and then there will be these pithy descriptions and it's almost like a whole story in two lines <laughs> yeah yeah i never like, know what to write so i just make up a story and get the hell out of there <laughs> But I've seen your sketchbook, too, and it's, like, very often it's, like, several creatures like that. And I I think one time we were bored or we were sitting around tired or something, and you were, like, taking me through it. And you were, like, yeah, this guy, he's, like, so-and-so. Like, there would be a story in your head, even if the creature was just a sketch. Oh, yeah, they all have stories. Oh, because they definitely, I'm, like... Because I'll, I'll draw something, then I'll be like, now what would make this more interesting? Like, I drew the muffin man. He was just a man with a cup of tea, and he was sitting. And then I added a chair, and I was like, he's fine. And then I added the <laughs> the, the, the bowler cap, and I was like, now we're getting somewhere. Now he's got something. <laughs> and then it was like, and then, like, the bow tie, and then the chest hair, and then the muffin was what really, it looks like it might actually be a cupcake. But um, the muffin was where he came together as a character. You know. Okay. You drew a muffin and then you were like, he's the muffin man? Or you were yes. like, oh, I have an idea to draw a muffin. No, there was no muffin in play. There was a man and then he became the muffin man. He transformed <laughs> from just a, just a standard issue man to the muffin man. He leveled up. And then now, when he was the muffin man, was he complete? Or then did you add details? Like once you knew he was, he was a guy who like lied about being paleo. Um, he was, well, he was the muffin man. I, I think I drew this one first in black ink and then I started adding in all the red details and then he sort of became a little bit poncy, which I liked a lot. Yeah, and, I like that too. And I was sort of like, you know, this is the kind of man that has secrets from his gym bros. You know, <laughs> this is a man, like there are a lot of things this man's not telling his gym bros. Um... <laughs> And I like him. I like his, yeah, his weird, like, egg-shaped head. It's not, things aren't going well with this guy. Like, he looks a little bit like a Habsburg. Um, Habsburgs are a very inbred family. And part of my, I guess, my topic for today. But, like, I do sort of enjoy, like, a weird distended head. And I've always enjoyed, like, a weird head shape. When I was a kid, my, my friend told me that my head was shaped wrong. And I think about that to this day. Did she elaborate? Did she tell you how it was wrong? Yes. Or he? Yes. She informed me that my head was too much of a circle. Oh. She informed me that everyone else's face was an oval, but mine was a circle. And then I'm pretty sure I, being a complete 
my dad, my dad's a like a math. You, I don't know if you know this. My dad's a physician, but he started out in college as a mathematician, I and then he not. wound up going into 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 science for medicine. But he he loves math, and so I'm pretty sure the thing I said to this girl in like second or third grade was like, technically, a circle is a kind of oval. Like. If it, if it, <laughs> You told her. I think I might have. Yeah, I think that definitely solved that problem. <laughs> wow. I I think about my head shape, too. I have never given your head shape a lot of thought. <laughs> what What's wrong with your head shape? I feel like you might have a slightly square jaw. Uh, well, my head is pretty circular, too. Like, like, it's a little bit of a moon face. And then almost no hats fit me so the reason I have never shaved my head although I I did come close during the pandemic like like I think a lot of people um (laughs) (laughs) is because I think that if I shaved it I'd look like an egghead like I think it gets really big in the back but you just can't see it because of hair Oh, I don't know that's one of those things that like once you once you make that decision you can't go back you can't walk that one back yeah, you can't walk it back right away, although Carmen R- R- Carmen was eager to see my shaved head, I think, because she was just eager for any change. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she was like, it'll grow back in, like, two months, which is true. You can go back in a way. You just can't go back right away. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to wait, like, two years. I, like, <laughs> I buzzed all my hair off, and then I got married a couple years later, and it was, like, it was such a process. It took, like, three years to grow my hair back. To 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 do the femme bride thing, you know, right. to live that femme bride lie, and then I promptly cut it all back off. As soon as <laughs> yeah, you wanted an updo, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted the front up and the back down. It's nice I to wanted, have an updo. I yeah. had like a whole curly fantasy, and it was lovely. And then I got hot, and I, without even thinking about it, just put my hair in a ponytail. <laughs> Like, partway through the night, and my grandmother apparently lost it. Like, I didn't, I don't remember this happening, but my nana was, like, so, because it was, like, so beautiful and so curly, and, like, I was, like, I'm sweaty, and so I just put it into a bun, and <laughs> my nana was, like, she ruined her hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad she shared that with someone who is not you. <laughs> yeah, no, she didn't share that with me. She shared that with my mother, and my mother was, like, great, great. <laughs> um... So the Habsburgs, do they all have weird heads? Yes, they do. I learned about the Habsburgs in AP European history. There used to be like um like a like a like a Hungarian Prussian Empire. You guys may or may not remember World War One um, was started when Archduke Ferdinand got shot, mm-hmm. and he was like an Austria Prussia guy. And then it you know like a bunch of a bunch of countries started fighting over this guy dying, and it sort of expanded out to become World War One. That guy was a Habsburg. The Habsburg family was a super inbred family that ruled over like the Austro-Prussian Empire for like hundreds of years, parts of Spain, um, and they they wanted to keep all the power in the family. And a great way to keep all their power consolidated is to only screw family members because if you start stepping outside the family, you start being loyal to other parties or owing things to other families. Um, you know, like those alliances, like, oh, where the Queen Elizabeth was trying to decide who to marry, like which alliance would be the most powerful, that sort of thing. Right. Um, so if, but if you only mate with yourself, you never have to distribute your power. You can just, just screw your relatives forever. Um, (laughs) I see the logic. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. And so our AP European history teacher was like, I know (laughs) that high schoolers are going to want to hear this story because it involves incest and fuck uppery so he pretty much like told us that these this family was just like stepping its own relatives and um and he started showing us pictures of these people and their faces start getting really weird they start to look like the muffin man in the in the drawing their their heads start to get really long and their jaws start to come out um i they're it's, they have this sort of like it's like a mandible extension there's a prognathus mandible prognathus and their jaws start to come out to the point where in later generations, they can't close their mouths properly or chew. Whoa. So they're that 
far from they're that into the uncanny valley right that far in right they start getting really weird looking and um they actually did a study recently which is i i sent you the link it's in the show notes where they studied the paintings there was a there was a court painter that painted them velasquez he painted a whole lot of them and then he um they took that and then they took like the research data they could find from like d- descendants and they did research and they found out that the final guy, it was like, it was like, uh, it was one of those situations where like his mother was also his aunt and also his cousin. And it was like the family had interbred to the point where like it had funneled down to this one guy. And uh, the final guy, when he died, hold on, I actually I brought this up in anticipation of this. He, hold on a second. Uh, okay, so the final guy was so screwed up that he was mentally handicapped, and he um, he was known as the Bewitched. Um, his deformities made it, it difficult for him to eat or talk. When they did his bot, the person who did his autopsy said his body did not contain a single drop of blood. His heart was the size of a peppercorn. His lungs corroded. His intestines rotten and gangrenous. He had a single testicle, black as coal, and his head was full of water. Whoa. Yeah. So these people, they just, they were inbreeding to consolidate power, um, but they were in turn messing themselves up from within because you need that genetic variance to stay strong. Like, because otherwise, like certain things keep popping up. Like, for example, the Amish have a very high rate of sixth fingers. Right. Um, and there is, there are a couple, when you, if you're Jewish, if you're purebred Jewish, and we're going we're gonna to circle around on the Jewish thing. If you're purebred Jewish um, and you're going to marry someone, you need to often get genetically tested because there are certain diseases that are more common in Ashkenazi Jews um, than in the regular population. And if you marry someone that's too close to you genetically, you can have a series of really bad birth defects in your children. They test for that now. I think I had an idea in my head that, like, yes, inbreeding leads to weird uh, defects often, more often. And I know in plants. <laughs> right. In plants, you got to have a different type of plant to pollinate with it. If it just pollinates with itself, it's just not going to be as strong. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's just like that. Um, so on one hand, like, I got really interested in these ugly Habsburgs. And their weird, screwed up ways, I was drawn to them. But I sort, of, I sort of fell by the wayside until later when, cut to sort of now-ish, when the Black Lives Matter thing became, uh, sort of started dominating the news sort of during the pandemic. Um, we were talking about white privilege and I said something like, oh, the joy of being Jewish is that every, everybody hates you for being white, except for white people who hate you for being Jewish. <laughs> and um, and people were like, well, Jews are white. And I said, well, not according to people who care about whiteness, like Aryan nation people, you know, like people who are like, you know, ugh. I hate to even say this out loud, but people who are like, wait, pride, yay. Um, those people don't like Jewish people. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't. So it's like, are Jews white or not? And this is when I fell down a research hole about whether or not Jews were white. Wow. Um, what did you read? Like, where did you go? Well, I went to some dark, I went to some dark places and some light places. Um, I mostly read about, I mean, there's really nowhere good to go when you're reading about anti-Semitism, I guess. Yeah, like, like, is this like how sometimes, this is a fucked up thing that I, I haven't done it in a while, but like occasionally just out of weird fucked up curiosity, I would read the Exodus website. You know Exodus? No, it sounds horrible. They're the ex-gays. They're (gasps) ex-gays. They're like, I was once gay, but I figured it out. I'm straight now. And like, I would read their stories. Like occasionally I'll just do that. And I think it's mostly weird curiosity. I I don't know what it is. I don't don't feel the need to like look at it that closely, but I would imagine it would be like that, like that feeling of like, what am I doing? But also you're interested in reading it. Yes. Um, it's actually part of, uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons, but part of the reason there's so much anti-Semitism in America is because the people, there were like early Jewish people from Western Europe. You know how like Western Europe is generally considered classier than Eastern Europe? Right. You know, like if you're from Western Europe, you're like, you're German as opposed to Russian, you know, like there are certain classes. So there were, 
Jewish people that came over here first, and they were they weren't they were sort of like wealthy or middle class, and they came to America and they continued to be wealthy or middle class, and they did well for themselves here, and they were like pretty proud, like oh I did a good job, uh, and this was way before World War II. This was like in the 1800s, like during immigration, and then. Um, during the pogroms, which was when it was sort of like Russia's Holocaust, they started killing off the Jews and such. And the Jews were like, I want to go to America. That sounds all right. They started coming to America, but they were poor. So they weren't educated. They didn't speak English. They needed governmental assi assistance, as the poor do. Um, you know, they were often diseased or had problems. And the Jewish people who were already here were like, oh, yeah, they're terrible. Look at those Jews. They're not like us. They're the others. And they started drawing a line between the, the sort of the Jews that had already been there, the Western European Jews, and the Eastern European Jews who were more like victims, refugees, in a way that the other ones hadn't been. Um, and they were pretty much just shitting on their own people. <laughs> they like threw their own people under the bus. And, um, and that's, it's, it's also the case um, with the phrase, I also read a book on white trash, this book called White Trash. And it's also the case with white trash because um, because people like they don't you, they have to, white people have to distinguish them from other white people by calling them white trash. Yeah, like just the phrase itself. Like it's like you, they have to like be like, oh, not us. You know, we're we're the good white people. Those are the bad white people. And it's a classist system. Yeah. So you're are you saying that? when people are anti-Semitic in America, they're thinking of that sort of second wave of Jewish immigration? I'm not really sure at this. I don't think most people have researched like the waves of Jewish immigration. Um, it's just like a bad taste. It's a bad taste in their mouth. Now, the Western European Jews later did sort of recant because they realized that they were spreading so much anti-Semitism that like it was starting to reflect upon like their lives. Like, I was like, oh, look how gross and dirty those Jews are. Sort of turned into like, look how gross and dirty all Jews are, including you, Oof. kind of thing. Yeah. Like, they realized it was starting to ricochet back on them, so they tried to walk it back, but it was too late. Um, they tried actually actively to like keep other Jewish people and um, just anyone, immigrants out. They, they were part of the community, not quite the eugenics movement, but they were part of community efforts to... Um, keep poor people out of the United States, in part because they were already taxing some of like the welfare systems and, and the healthcare systems and stuff like that. Like charities were starting to get tapped out. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, part part of it was just trying to help as many people as possible, but it sort of led to this system where there were these there were these tariff. I don't know if tariffs is the right word. There were these there were these maximums each month. Like, oh, there's one thousand Jews allowed in a month. And the ships were, like, gathered around Ellis Island. And then at the first of the month, they would pretty much play chicken and dive into the ports. And if they couldn't get in, they would have to either decide whether to leave the boat near the port for another month and try next month or go back. Like, people died out in those boats. Wow. So you learned all that by wanting to know why people thought, why people think of Jewish people as separate from white. Yes. Also, my grandmother was starting to get sick and her brain was deteriorating. And I was sort of became, ironically and stupidly, more interested in the Jewish side of my heritage as the last Jewish member of my family was dying, which was the wrong time because she went senile before she died. So I couldn't really tap her for information. I did get an Ancestry account. Um, I got my DNA tested. There was a part of me that was kind of hoping that, like, I was the milkman's kid. Like, just for drama reasons. Yeah. I love my dad. <laughs> I sort of thought maybe there would no. be something fun. No, I look and act exactly like my parents, and I'm my parents' child. I'm, like, 51% I'm like Jewish. So sometimes we like to tease mom that she's, like, a little bit Jewish. She, she's like, oh, weird. <laughs> she's, like, jokingly, jokingly mean about it as a joke. <laughs> like, I have to, like, lay this down. A joke. So your, um, so your grandma, your nana, is your dad's mom. Correct. Right. She and that's the, your Jewish my last, side of the family. Yeah, the last grandparent. And so I was researching this, and I just hit a dead end, like, at my great-grandparents. I just slammed straight into a dead end. And I was talking to my dad about it, and I was like, I can't find anything about our family, like, pre-United States. And he's like, 
Honey, they don't keep records in the shtetl. <laughs> and so I was thinking about how only really rich people have pedigrees, right? Yeah. Like they have these, like when you're rich, you have like paintings of your relatives and detailed family histories. Like my mother's side, I researched my mother's side and I had like, it went back like to like all these like nobles in the Netherlands and like my, I am distantly descended from the first white person born on the island of Manhattan. What? Yeah. Wow. So yeah. You, and you found that all out through like an ancestry site, like ancestry.com. Yeah. Like I was like clicking through other people who had done the research and like when you are like, I have so-and-so in my family, there will be like these little notes that will pop up. Like other people have researched this person. You can click here to see what they learned. And so you could sort of just go through other people's research. So, I mean, I didn't verify these things from the official documents myself. I didn't do this like original document research myself, but I did like go through other more elaborate family trees other people had made. And I wound up finding this crazy New York City information, which I mean, I guess might not be true, but like, and it was like all these like nobles and stuff from like old timey, ye old like Germany, like France and Germany at one point used to be kind of the same. Um, they were just sort of like fiefdoms in Europe. Um, a lot of stuff from in there um, on my mom's side. And it was like all beautifully documented and like various people had all of these things mapped out. My dad's side's like, welcome to hell, you get nothing. Oh, wait, but tell me about, tell me about your Nana and... So when did, did she emigrate or was it your great grandparents who emigrated? It was my great grandparents. So it was my grandparents' parents came over and they were like Eastern European. They were sort of like Russian, Ukrainian, possibly Polish. There's like a family infight over whether it was Ukraine or Poland, which is funny um, because I guess Poland, like everybody shits on Poland, but we might be part Polish. Um, <laughs> and they mostly just, they were mostly just straight up like Russian. Um, and they came over and they were tailors. They, um, they like, they all made clothes and like sold, like owned stores and made clothes and further stores. And that's what they did. They owned clothing stores. And, and, and they had your Nana. Yep. So your Nana was born, do you know where? Like, where they... So my my Nana was originally from, um, I think it was New Jersey, Atlantic City, I think she grew up in. She was very fat. Her, her mother died really early of, like, diabetes. So she had my Nana and then died, like, promptly died. And my Nana was raised by, like, her evil stepmother. It was, like, this whole story about, like, how the evil stepmother didn't love her. Um, and the evil stepmother married the father and they had a biological child that was her half-brother and like oh the half-brother could do no wrong and the half-brother was perfect but but she my nana was um you know she was fat just like her own mother and like everything was terrible for her and she she had had these very I would be curious to hear this story from another point of view um but yeah so she was apparently fat and like she like she had an eating disorder her whole life and she was like always trying to like lose weight that's so sad yeah, she was, like, on her deathbed. She's, like, 92. She's, like, I lost some weight. I was, like, I don't I don't think that's good anymore. Yeah, like, oh, I wish she could have enjoyed food a little more. Yeah, that was really sad. Do you feel like either your Nana had any kind of impact on how you make art or that line of inquiry like into your family had any kind of impact on your art it's okay yeah if not. she was oh, the did. no she was the only person that supported it actually really? and I, she was my favorite grandparent and the longest lived one so i was very lucky um yeah she was obsessed with kachina dolls she loved the american southwest she loved native americans from the she like had all these kachina dolls and she had like all these like paintings she would bring back she really loved that whole aesthetic she thought she called them indians which i didn't love she also called Asian people Orientals. Um, she she in her problematic terms were she was all about them. She loved Asian people and she loved she loved like the indigenous people of the American Southwest. She loved them. Um, she had like all this art and she had this Kachina doll coloring book 
that she gave to me that I would only color in when she was around. And she, you know, she visited all the time, even when they lived in Philadelphia, which was like a three hour drive from where we were living at the time. Um, and then later when I was like 11 or 12, they moved up to be closer to us. Um, so and I, we, she and I would sit around and draw in this coloring book together. And she was Aww. like, you're such a great artist. You're so talented. You were so blessed. And she'd always be talking about like, what a great artist you are. And she was always very supportive of it. Yeah, she was like the only one in my family that really cared about that sort of thing, which was really nice. Did she get to, was she with it enough to like see your gallery show in college or anything like that? Like, did she um, get to see you become a professional artist? Yes. Yes, she did. I would, I would like bring her back like t-shirts I had designed and stuff like that. She had like all my art on the walls. I'd like, if I did something I liked, I'd frame it and give it to her. She had like all over the place in her house. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so special. So I, so I actually am thinking about getting a sort of Kachina doll motif somewhere on my body. Um, but I want a person of indigenous ancestry to do it. Because I feel kind of weird, like, having, like, another white person in central Pennsylvania do it. I feel like that might be a line of cultural appropriation. Um, so I'm like, maybe I'll go to the Southwest and get one. I don't know. It, it feels sort of dodgy, even though I have, like, a real connection to Kachina dolls. But I also feel like it's a really sort of indirect connection that is not necessarily directly to the people, the indigenous people of Southwest America. It's sort of like a... Oh well, my nana liked them, and now I want one. I don't. It feels sort of problematic to want this tattoo, so I'm thinking about where I would get it and how to get it in a way that would be respectful. I feel like I I feel like we should get back to the Habsburgs because I want to talk about like where your your actual project, like your drawings of them. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So right. So anyway, so I'm learning about the Jews, and I was learning about the Habsburgs, and the so i was reading up on like the eugenics movement they were like we need to get rid of everything that's not white we need to get rid of everything that is that is bad so like some of it was like if people are not very smart or people are mentally handicapped or people are criminals we're not going to let them mate because these people when they mate they tend to make more people that are kind of like them and there is like a genetic correspondence right like if you you know like really smart people tend to have really smart babies like sometimes, you know, like not always, it's not a guarantee because genetics isn't a straight line. There's nature, there's nurture, et cetera. But they were like, let's get rid of all these other things. And they were like, let's start with the people with the mental handicaps. And then we'll move on to the people that have physical handicaps. And then we'll move on to the criminals. And then we'll move on to the people of color. And then we'll move on. So like the eugenicists are basically like just sort of starting to hack away what they feel are the unpleasant parts of society. Right. And then, but then the problem is you start getting into a Habsburg problem. Because if you, the more people you get rid of, the more variants you get rid of. So if you just have white people, you know, then you're only going for the smartest white people. And then you're only going from the smartest white people from Ireland. And then, you, you know what I mean? The, the more narrow your focus is, the more inbreeding you're going to get. And you're going to wind up with the Habsburgs again. Mm. It all comes so, back to the, the Habsburgs. In a everything, it, it all <laughs> comes back to the Habsburgs. It's sort of like purebred dogs tend to have very specific problems per breed. Yeah. And mutts tend to live longer. I mean, it's just, a, it's, you can look it up. Um, so, you know, and then you, you wind up with all these like inbred problems, like hip dysplasia in um, German shepherds or cancer in golden retrievers. And these animals, these beautiful animals are often in pain or have problems that like if somebody had just bred like some golden retrievers with like, you know, some Rottweilers, like maybe it wouldn't have been as beautiful or perfect a dog, but it would be a dog that was sturdier. And the eugenicists seem to think that removing these unmentionables from society will, will strengthen, you know, the race, but it won't. And the thing that keeps humanity strong is literally the fact that it, there's such a wide amount of genetic material. So the eugenics movement, as I understand it, was, got big, like, post-Darwin and, like, sort of swelled in the early 1900s. Am I yep. right about that? You're correct. Um, Are there and, modern day eugenicists? Yes. But the, eugen, eugen, so the eugenics movement sort of crested. Uh, Hitler was part of the crest of it. Um, there were like eugenics societies in the United States and, and abroad. People, I mean, it seems, it makes sense, right? Like if something sucks, don't let it breed um, because you don't want more of it. 
I mean, it makes it makes an intuitive sense that if something is bad, you don't want more of it. Right. If you um, think, if you think a type of person is bad, yeah. Right, and that's the thing. It becomes subjective, and it's like, well, what makes this person bad? Is it is it just that is it that this thing actually is harmful to society, or is that you just don't like this thing? And um, Hitler, eugenicists, sort of the eugenics movement died when everybody saw where the Nazis took it. The Nazis took it to the end, um, their end game, you know, and, and they realized like, oh my God, like they're just picking people up and just slaughtering them. Oh my God. Cause the Nazis weren't just sterilizing people like the way that people even in, um, the United States jails were just, were just starting to just, um, sterilize people against their will, like people of color and, and indigenous people. They would just take people and, oh, people with special needs too. They would just sterilize them. Um, but no, the Nazis were like, no, nah, screw serialization. We're just going to throw them in a pit kind of thing. Right. Um, and they, 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 and, and, but that was like the extension of the efficient. It's easier to just put a gun in someone than to sterilize someone, right? It's, easy, it's, it's so easy to kill someone. Sterilizing, it's like a whole medical procedure. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, like the most efficient way to handle the quote unquote problem is to just get rid of them. And people realize, like, oh, my God, like, this is what we're kind of angling for. Oh, man. Like, they just took the logic all the way to the end. And the Nazis were like, here's what it is, guys. And then everybody was immediately like, oh, I'm not sure we want to be part of that. Yeah. But they had so sort of started it. Like, it was very... I, it was funny. I was looking... So my characters in my novel are, like, my novel set in 1912, and one of the characters goes to Bryn Mawr. And I was looking, I found like the 1912 course catalog at Bryn Mawr. And I was like trying to figure out like, so I could really accurately have her bitching about her classes. Oh, <laughs> nice. So I was like going through that course catalog, just like out of curiosity. And I was like, okay, if someone wanted to be a social worker or it, they weren't called social workers back then. Um, but like a lot of what sort of these, women's college people did back then is like oh they're gonna go work in a tenement house and they're gonna serve the greater good in some kind of way and it was like the precursor to what eventually became social work and yeah one of the courses in that major was eugenics yeah it was just called eugenics i was like wow that was not that's not subtle at all no it wasn't and because it because it seemed like a good idea it sounded scientific and pure and it was like the science of breeding pigeons, which was also trendy at the time. The science of breeding fancy dogs. The science of you. Why don't we just extend this to humans? Was the idea. And yeah, and I imagine there were other parts of eugenics that were maybe more palatable that gave it a veneer of respectability. Um, like, well, I mean, the, the idea was, you know, you would just breed the healthiest. I mean, it wasn't the, the emphasis wasn't always like here are the bad things, let's kill them. It yeah. was like. It was like, how can we promote the healthiest people having the healthiest babies? Like, I don't think they were pushing the murder. But then then when the Nazis rose to power, they were like, oh, yeah, there's definitely a murder undercurrent here. I see it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oof. But, I mean, it sort of, I think it was sold as, like, here's a way to have a healthier, happier people for a brighter tomorrow. And are the modern-day eugenicists, like, are they just, like, fucking white power nazi people like pretty much yeah yeah ew. yeah there's um so one of the things that contemporary people especially liberals are dealing with is the history of the eugenics movement including um i'm sure your wife has opinions on this um hp lovecraft like one of one of our finest um one of our finest american history writers was a prominent eugenicist and he like he broke so much ground creatively and there's like an hp lovecraft prize and there's this legacy but there's this legacy of hate that was like riding on the back of a lot of like him and a lot of historical figures like when you look back on it now and it's like oh well that was problematic but we still have an hp lovecraft award and we still like respect these people even though they're terrible um yeah, there, and so, like, even people that you respect might have been eugenicists. There's an online quiz you can take, and it's called H.P. Lovecraft or Hitler. Um, you can find this in the show notes, guys. Um, <laughs> it's, a, and it's, a, it's a really racist quote, and you get to decide if it was H.P. Lovecraft or Adolf Hitler. Ooh. And uh, it's a treat. It's, it's more of a treat than a quiz should be. 
um, because after a while they start like messing with their names and it's like there was this was this piece of trash said by Adolf Schittler question mark question mark <laughs> Oh my god. So, yeah, and so so like we're still dealing with like, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, the the anti-Semitism, like the shooting in the Pittsburgh synagogue. We're still dealing with this racism today. I mean, it's not gone. Um, but it is sort of the white supremacist movement and I think so have you ever heard of the 14 words? No. I'm scared. <sighs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I bet it's bad. <laughs> So, 14 words. <laughs> so, okay, the 14 words is like the rallying cry of white supremacists. And um, if somebody has a tattoo that's 1488, it might look to a normal person like some kind of historical date. But it is 14, meaning the 14 words, and 88, 8 is, you know, like A is 1, B is 2. 88 is HH for Adolf Hitler, for Hail, Hail Hitler. Ooh. So if you ever see somebody with a 1488 tattoo... They're a white supremacist. Yes. The fourteen clear. words. The fourteen words for the white supremacist slogan are: "We must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children." When did these words? Wait, who who said them? Do you know? David Eden Lane. I'm trying to see when he said it. Nineteen. Just some fucking dude. Like just. Eighty four. Nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Okay, and the words became famous because he was a famous white supremacist, or people just liked him. Um, he he considered loyalty. Yeah, he considered loyalty to the United States to be racial treason. He was like an anti-Semite. He loved the number fourteen. He had a fourteen-point white genocide manifesto. Um, he was he had a lot. He had a lot going on. Anyway, so the fourteen words basically are all about like preserving the white children. Which sounds a lot like the eugenics movement, um, their need to, like, preserve these children. Because everything sounds good when it's, like, save the children, right? We want happier, healthier children. Like, you, you can make anything. You can make any horrible thing sound nice if you're like, but we're doing it for the kids. We must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. And you're like, oh, that's not so But Wait, why are we calling out white children? Wait a second. Eh? Um, but yeah, that's, the eugenics movement's still alive. It's just really ugly now. Is, so is any of this, it, is it just a hole you fell down or is any of this somehow reflected in your work? So I did a, I did a, um, we're gonna have to link to this in the show notes. There is a, there's a, there's a sketchbook, um, library in Brooklyn, um, where you can buy a sketchbook fill it and then mail it back to them and they'll put it online for you and people can go into the sketchbook library and they can flip through it um and i made a sketchbook this this whole thing culminated in a project it was called these are not my ancestors and it was every other page each spread was two was two sides one page was a painting of a habsburg and taken from their official court paintings. And the other side was a painting of a black and white child that did not survive the Holocaust. Um, and the, because my, the Jewish side of my family never lived, I mean, like, never lived to, like, leave a mark, right? Like, they don't keep records in the shtetl. And, but then the rich people, they get their beautiful court paintings. And, the you know, the, the Jewish kids are just like these photographs that like there's a there's a giant database that's like have you seen these children mm-hmm. and it's children that nobody can was able to find after the holocaust and um there actually have been people that have come forward and been like that's me like people have been found like via this site wow and i painted a bunch of those children so it was sort of like these are not my ancestors like i am not a habsburg like i'm not classy like this but i but I'm also not one of these Jewish people because they didn't leave, live to make progeny. Wow. And did you paint them differently? Like Yes. So I painted the Habsburgs in like full color and in gouache, which is like a fancy old timey. It's like it's like acrylic. It's like a, an old timey method. And then I painted the Jewish people in black and white using house paint, um, which can be acquired very cheaply. So I use totally different media for them um, because the Jewish photos are just, they're just like shitty photos from 1940. 
right. that are in black and white. Like they didn't, I'm not even sure they had color photography at the time. And, and so I wanted to reflect like the lack of dignity that they were given. You know, they were just like these crappy photos with these kids. Like nobody knew this would be their last photo of their kid. They're just like school photos or like candids of them, like in the street. Some of them were pictures of them holding up like a sign that said like maybe their name or their number or something like that. I'm not entirely sure what all of them were holding. It was mostly just paintings of the kids. Um, they were children, just like children that were never found. Wow. How did it feel to be doing this work? Like once you got to the painting part, how were you feeling when you were making the paintings? It was, I, I, the, the Habsburgs were just sort of funny, yeah. but the, the Jewish children hurt. It was so sad that like those people, there's, those people were gone and they never had kids and I don't have ancestors and I like, I don't have ancestors and they don't have kids. There's like a line at 1940 that like nobody seems to be able to cross, you know, like there's no documents before a certain time and there's no people alive after a certain time. Like you just can't, like there's like people that were reaching for us from the past and then us reaching back and it just everybody just hitting 1940, like a wall. Yeah. Um, and there's in the show notes, there's a graph of like a Jewish family tree and there's a line at 1940 and like half the tree just wipes out. Like it just stops. Um, and then the rest of it goes down. Like the, the Holocaust was shockingly effective. I, I like, I don't, I don't want to use the word successful. That's horrible. It was, it, they, they aimed for a thing and they achieved the thing. And, um, and it's, it's so hard because to know that like you are part something that somebody wanted to exterminate like somebody out there saw you and they were like you gotta go like you are vermin peace yeah is alarming to hear um but then also to know that in america you're walking around and you look like a white person and like a cop's never gonna bother you right it's just, it's a weird middle zone yeah yeah it's interesting to me that you were grappling with the middle zone that like when you search for something and and dug your research hole and like search for something to like I guess work with to play with to like deal with being in that middle zone what you came to were pictures of like one side and the other right um, yeah. that there's no articulating the middle still. Like, the middle is articulated by the two sides. Right. And the differences between the two sides. And that's, like, the white space is, like, where you're living. Yeah. It's very weird. And it's difficult. And I it's I also have a, a lesser, different version of this with, um, now with my dog. I got a new dog. And my old dog was clearly like a Beagle Border Collie mix. You could say it and people go, oh yeah, of course. Like it's possible it wasn't, but like my new dog is really ambiguous. And, and people are constantly talking to me about like the dog breeds that he is. People are fixated on his breed, like in a way they weren't with, with Willie. And, and, and like, I just think about like, well, hopefully his breeding will allow him to live longer. But like, why are people so fixated on my dog's breed? Yeah, like it makes me like, it makes me feel like I'm, like, also kind of, like, a weird breeding mix. Like, because I am, too, you know? And, like, his records are incomplete, and so are mine. And, like, we got him DNA tested, and the results didn't really make any sense. Like, all the breeds that came back were, like, 15-pound breeds, and he's, like, 35 pounds. Um, and people are so fixated on, like, what he is. I'm like, he's clearly just a dog. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a canine. Like, I don't know what to tell you. But for some reason, like, even with a dog, like, people feel this need to, like, figure out precisely what kind it is. Yeah. And in figuring it out, it's like they're figuring out who he is or they think they are. Yeah. Which is, and like, interesting. Yeah. And he's my baby. He's just a baby. He just I wants know. to sit on a lap. He is your All he baby. wants is to sit on a lap and have <laughs> mental problems. You know, we got Rosie DNA tested. Did I tell you this? No. What is she? 
I so I have a dog named Rosie, listeners, and she it looks like a big lumpo. Like she looks like a big mix of a bunch of stuff. The only thing you can really tell is that there's for sure beagle energy there. Yeah, like beagle or basset hound or something. Something like that. Yeah. So I thought so we thought that her results would be all over the place, like like a fourth this, a fourth that. Um and Carmen was really cute, actually. Like, when she, she, Carmen was the whole force behind getting our dog DNA tested because she was like, why the fuck not? You know, um, I think, like, I think for her, she doesn't want to, like, do that for herself for a lot of reasons, like having to do with privacy and whatever. But yeah, for the dog, it's like, whatever. <laughs> Let's yeah. just do it. So, um, so she made a little quiz for me and Marnie, who's our other partner, and like uh, the quiz was like, "Do you think she's this, this, or this?" So we like took this quiz, and then she like told us the answers. It was like a whole thing, and it turned out that Rosie is just half one thing, half the other, which is, is was shocking to me. No, there's no basset hound in there. She is half beagle, half American foxhound. Do you know what an American foxhound yeah, is? Yeah, they're like bigger beagles. Yeah, they're just like big old noble looking, slightly bigger, weird bigger beagles. beagles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically, give or take. I mean, yeah. So she's half little beagle, half big beagle. And yeah, yeah, I just brought up the picture. I was like, "Am I crazy?" No, they're just like enormous beagles. She's just like, yeah, she's a beagle. She's yeah. like a tall, she's like a tall ass beagle and a no, and a little beagle mixed together. And <sighs> <laughs> and you know, in in this little doggy DNA website, like it'll ping us when a cousin of hers shows up or whatever. And on the American Foxhound side, lots of people have looked up their dog's DNA. Like, she has a lot of cousins and matches on the American Foxhound side. Nothing on the Beagle side. Well, maybe, like, the Beagle, like, the Beagle side, like, just had, like, one little indiscretion. But the American Foxhound parent is, like, making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're big dogs. They're, like, dogs in the, I think they're big in the South. And so maybe, I imagine an American Foxhound was, like, having having a day out. (laughs) Visited a dog park and left successful. <laughs> yeah. So Pete, can people see these paintings? Like, are they on your Instagram? They, so I did send a picture of some of them on my Instagram. And I'm also going to find a link on the Brooklyn Sketchbook Library um, to the specific sketchbook. The These Are Not My Ancestors sketchbook. And I'm also going to find a link to the Lost People database. Cool. Okay, I... I think it's time for something I learned this week. Are you ready for that? Yeah, what is, what's dad been doing? The Cerne, I might be pronouncing it wrong, C-E-R-N-E, giant. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Tell me what that is. Let's see. Okay. He says, Val, this is fascinating, but visual. Probably doesn't work for your podcast. So why <laughs> put it here? Don't know. It's fun. <laughs> Oh my God, your dad's amazing. <laughs> There's a link. We'll put it in the show notes. I'm probably pronouncing Cerne, Cerne wrong. Cern? I don't know. Cern? Maybe Cern. Cern? Um, I will just say Cern. The Cern Abbas Giant is a hill figure near the village of Cern Abbas in Dorset, England. Fifty-five meters high, it depicts a standing nude male figure with a prominent erection and wielding a large glove in its right hand. I'm okay. So he links to a picture. I'm gonna send you the picture. Okay. So we, I'll, 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 you can wait. That's not (laughs) the picture he linked to. I don't believe is what. I don't understand. Oh, it's like a, it's like one of those like, like carved into the ground drawing. things. Yeah. Do you see it? Yeah. It's like one of those drawings like they have in like Southwest America, right? Do they have those in Southwest America? They like, they have them in like, maybe it's South America. Like those, they're like, they're like the, the lines on the ground that people think aliens put there. Gotcha. Gotcha. But 
Yeah, they're mysterious. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's very similar to that. Look at that. I mean, someone definitely drew this. Like, someone made this happen. Right? Um, wow. Yeah. It seems like... Let's see. Okay, so... They did luminescence testing. It says it was probably made between 700 CE and... 700 CE and 1100 CE. So, I mean, the thing's like a thousand years old. So, apparently, this is what Dad put down. Um, He said, many people doubt that the phallus is original. If he does date to the time of the Abbey, then he is more acceptable with trousers on than without, says Papworth. I don't know who Papworth is. Maybe it's an expert. (laughs) Oh, boy, Papworth. (laughs) Papworth is just the guy that lives next door that he's talking to. He's like, I have thoughts. (laughs) He was... He found this article by a writer he admires, Rebecca Reed, who did a story in a recent New Yorker article. And the New Yorker article is called The Mysterious Origins of the Cern Abbas Giant. That's very strange. Yes, it is weird. It looks like um, it's a very simple illustration for those of you who are listening. It sort of looks like a Keith Haring drawing, like a simple cartoon, very like flowy and simple, like a felt tip marker kind of drawing it's so it's simple and it's charming it's very lovely and it has it has a penis but it's not a super it's not a super yucky one it's just a stylized like the kind of cute penis that would maybe pop up in like like a like an elementary school bathroom it does look very elementary school doesn't it yeah yeah it's not gross it's not, just not the yucky penis, like the whole drawing yeah, it's not detailed. It's not. I, I don't feel offended because at first I was like, "Val, your your dad sent you a picture of what?" Yeah, because I heard like, the word I... erection and I was out. But then now I'm looking at the picture, and I'm like, "Oh, this is charming. This is fine." Yeah, this is not a dick pic. Like this is this is a stylized. Um... Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a flat stylized drawing. Also, at first. It was described, you described it as like a hill figure and it was like, it's 55 meters high. And I was like imagining like it to be a statue, like three dimensional, but it's like a thing that's drawn into the ground too. I think the fact that it is flat as opposed to like three dimensional also removes a further level of stylization. Um, Yeah, I also imagined a statue and was very surprised when I opened the link. If you'd like to share something you learned this week, either while researching a project or just living your life, email me at researchholepodcast at gmail.com. I may read it in a future episode. So, Leah, you're going to share a bunch of shit in the show notes, of course. But if people are too lazy to go to the show notes or, like, you know, have shit to do... Where can they find you on Can't Instagram? <laughs> My Instagram username is super underscore starling. Yeah. Like I'm a superstar, but I'm also a starling. The starling, um, if you guys listened to the ornithology episode last time, um, the starling is the most annoying bird. Uh, I also <laughs> am into ornithology, and they are trash. They're trash. <laughs> I want to hear all about that some other time. We'll have to go over it sometime. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm going to tell everybody about it. Yeah, thanks for being on it. Um, and I, I, I've I, been, I'm really glad you decided to do it because I just want everyone to find your art. You just listened to Research Hall. I'm Val Hallett. Our music is by Joey Hallett. Our logo is by Leah Lucidity Goodbye. Bye.